All right. Well, can you believe it? We're on another episode, Peter. I'm excited for today's conversation. I don't know if you can tell, but last conversation was such a big success. I actually went out and I bought a mic. So my audio has been enhanced. (laughs) So hopefully our listeners appreciate that. You sound great. You sound like a radio host, or should I say a real podcast host now? Yeah. And it's kind of got like this stand. And so I kind of feel like more like a podcaster or I'm speaking into like a more professional looking mic. So good times. And um, yeah, today's going to be an interesting conversation. Um, the first episode that we we did together, the seeds in Peter was all about looking at our own experiences and our personal lives and going through transitions And, um, you know, just to summarize some of the things we talked about, it was weddings coming up, marriage, going through that experience, um, new jobs, quitting, traveling, growing a family, getting a dog. And there's so many other transitions that, you know, don't impact us personally, but we know our friends and family and, and many others who could be listening are going through, whether that's moving to a new city, having, you know, a baby, losing a loved one so many different things, breakups. And so we thought it would be interesting to have a conversation to actually look at that mental piece of going through a significant life transition, what goes on in our minds, and sometimes what some of the adversity or challenges that we face as we encounter these big life transitions. And so, I mean, I'm, yeah, as I said, it's going to be a good conversation. um, And I wanted to kind of just pose to you, Peter, in your own experience, what, why do you think it's hard mentally to go through a transition? Yeah, you know, such a good question, Mark. And I think it came up a couple of times in our conversation that we'll share in in a moment with uh, with Andrea Fruling, our guest for this episode. Um, I think it's like a, a, an identity shift. It's like changing who you are, how you see yourself, and and that fundamentally is like a, a really difficult thing for us to do, whether it's in our home life, work life, relationships. Um, so, yeah, how do you work through that? How do you give yourself the the space and the grace um, to allow yourself to change. I think that's for me, what I've experienced is one of the hardest things, but what about you, Mark? Yeah, totally. And continuing on with that thought, it's like this loss of control sometimes, especially when it's Mm -hmm. a transition that we haven't always anticipated that can be challenging or it's having courage and taking on something new, like a new job, for instance, and it's exciting in many ways, but there's no muscle memory built new habits need to be formed. Old habits can be broken. There's changes in the routine. And so there's a lot going on and it's, uh, you know, psychologically it's, it's definitely a roller coaster. And and I think calling that out and talking and going deep on it is something that uh, is important. So yeah, let's just dive right into it. Here's our conversation with Andrea Fruling. Okay. So, you know, we're talking today about our mental well-being as we go through significant life transitions. And we're lucky, so lucky to have Andrea Fruling as a guest to join us in the conversation. Want to provide our listeners with a bit of a background on Andrea. Andrea, she is an artist, a creative thinker, and a certified organizational coach through the University of British Columbia and the International Coaching Federation. She's also a founding partner of a consulting company called Double Knot Works that helps organizations increase their impact through interactive workshops. Andrea has over 20 years of experience in career development and team leadership. On top of that, she's also she also has a beautiful family and is a mom of three. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks, Mark and Peter. Thanks for having me. And um, there's a special connection here, Andrea. We first met actually at the University of British Columbia, taking an organizational coaching course together. And, um, you know, right away from that interaction and our time together, I knew that we would have a great friendship. And uh, I noticed as I've seen you over the years uh, in your coaching practice, how much you care for your clients. Uh, That really stands out to me. And I thought maybe to get our conversation started with you here, we're just curious kind of what brought you into this line of work and into coaching. Well, yeah, with coaching, especially, I just, it's something I think I just was already doing. And, and so it was something or or a a version of what people thought it meant to be a coach. But um, I I feel like in some ways, since I was like 15 years old and working at summer camps, 
I've been working with people and that's been the thing that I just have loved to do. Um, leading, leading groups, uh, supporting groups, supporting people in, in all the different, as I kind of went through my own life and had kids and, and everything that comes with that, I was always organizing groups and leading them and providing support. And so it was just, it was not a hard decision to go into coaching. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, this is like the natural next step that that just really does make sense for me. Um, and I was raised by a, by a counselor and a, and a pastor but um, yeah, I, it's just was really just sort of a natural progression for me that that just made sense. And um, I haven't really looked back since. I love that. Coaching was definitely in the air for you uh, as you were growing up and as as you continue to establish your your career and practice. Um, you know, Andrea, we, we also got a chance to work together Um when I was going through a transition uh, a couple of years ago, a, a career transition, and you were an incredible help in helping me, you know, realize what I truly cared about in the work that I wanted to do, um, help me find the courage to go through the the sticky spots, um, if you will, and and getting through it. And Mark and I are tackling this topic of transition. We had a, a first episode um, on it talking about, you know, what's been going on in our lives. But we're curious to hear from you, you know, what does the word transition mean to you, mean to perhaps some of your clients that you work with? Uh, tell us a little bit about transition in your world. Yeah, this is it's an interesting one because um thinking about the word transition, and if if you really like stop. And think about like transition. It's it's like we're always in transition. It's just the way that we're in transition changes, and and it's something that um, it, it's we're just constantly evolving and changing and growing. And whether it's something you're choosing or like the environment around you is is changing, um, and you're sort of reacting and adapting to it. It's it's you're constantly in motion and um, thinking about it. There there are like maybe a few, even a few different kinds of transitions that we experience in our lives. I think there's like the anticipated transitions, the ones where you see it coming. Me and that's what I see sometimes with clients is where they like something feels not right, and so they know that maybe there's a change coming or a change that needs to happen. Uh, sometimes that's in relation to work. Maybe they're not happy in their job and they know they're not happy and are looking for a change. But maybe something else is is coming around the bend. Like, like Peter, I know you're getting married soon. Like there's changes that happen in our lives and you can see it coming, which sometimes impacts that, that need to change. There's also, though, on the other side, the unanticipated ones. And you see that in people who get let go, um, people who are fired, people who just have suddenly more like have something happen to them that creates that need for change. And then there's also the slow burning transition that we also go through where suddenly you look back and find yourself in a new place where you weren't before. So I think there's three different parts of it. And that's really, I see that with clients a lot, um, those different approaches to transition or experiences of transition. So that's really powerful what you just shared there, that life never stays static, right? We're always in motion. Things are always changing. Uh, I can definitely relate to that idea. And I think when we kind of come to a place where we can accept that, you know, things can become easier when you're going through some of these meaningful transitions. You started to allude to it a little bit when you're sharing some experiences from working with your clients about, you know, there are these changes that are maybe a slow build and something that you kind of initiate. And then there are things that just blindside us, um, as you mentioned, with uh, maybe a layoff or, or something that, that can be really difficult. So um, talk to us a little bit more about these patterns. Do you, what do you notice when you are working with a client where they are trying to initiate a change versus 
when the change is happening to them through some unexpected event? I, I think that it's always, I mean, ideal when a client comes to me and they're like, I'm anticipating a change. Like I'm thinking about this. And, and that gives them, what that does is that gives them time, which is really probably the biggest difference in the, no, not the only biggest difference, but, but it gives them time to really plan and to think about who they are. And, and I think that the, one of the important things that really comes from that is being able to understand who they are. And so when it comes time to make a decision, they're ready. There's there's maybe an increase in confidence. They understand themselves. They understand the qualities they need in order to, to make a decision for the best next step for them, whatever that step might be. Um, and when you're, but when you're blindsided, there is more almost like of a reaction that happens. And mm. so it is really important important to understand where the client is, where someone's coming from when they come for coaching. And if if someone's coming in and has been just blindsided by something, um, being, finding a, their way to understanding it and just pausing Mm-hmm. and talking through like what's happened where are you at and sometimes understanding even the urgency of the next step um some people live like paycheck to paycheck and it's not they don't have the luxury of saying like okay well now let's learn about who you are like that's that's not a thing sometimes sometimes it's like you need a job and let's start there. And while you're working, maybe then we're also talking about, okay, who are you? What do you need? What's that actual next step? But there are some of those immediate supports that that just need to be checked in on. But ideally, being able to pause and just know that that experience of kind of of almost of panic or whatever feelings are coming with that that sudden unexpected transition um, are, are probably quite normal for the experience that they're having. And then learning how to pivot from that and really draw on their strengths to move into something else is, is really important. So on that point, I think, you know, we're recording this February of 2023, hearing a lot about recession are we in one are we going to be in one layoffs in you know different sectors uh, i've been laid off myself in the past and so for those of us who have gone through an unexpected transition an abrupt one um how do we manage this kind of shift for for me it was an identity shift where it's like I was let go from this job where I built a career around and a reputation and identity of myself. And now I have to go on this new journey to figure out what I'm going to be. It's really scary. And so I'm just wondering when you work with clients to like help them through, what do they want? What do they want to truly do? Whether it's stay on the path or do something different. How, how do you navigate those conversations? Yeah, I think, I mean, initially just acknowledging the feeling, saying like, yeah, of course you feel that way. Like, look at what's happened to you. It's totally understandable. And um, and in giving permission just for those feelings to be there. Like sometimes it's, it can be so easy to just sort of be like, I have to push through. I have to just get through this and I have to keep going. But first, like, you're allowed to feel what you feel and that's okay. Um, the other side to it too is then who are you? Like let's separating you from your job. You are not your job. You are you. And you have all these amazing strengths and skills and abilities and things that are make you uniquely you. And so like, let's find those out and let's really clarify what those things are so that when it does come to making decisions and navigating work, you're able to kind of separate yourself from the work 
and understand that you are not the work, but you are you doing the work. And I think on that, we did an activity when you were coaching me. It was, I think there were like 12 or 14 different values in what you seek from from work. And you made me do this really hard activity where you had to like put it on a pyramid and like actually prioritize what are the ones that mattered. And when I did that activity and we landed on like, you know, three or four, I think it was at, at the end, you had to choose. It blew my mind that like one of them, and this was, you know, a couple of years ago now, but like work fit was one of them. And I realized actually the type of work I was doing in my career up to that point was definitely not my perfect fit. It didn't really align with what I was really good at and my super, my superpowers, if you will. So I was always stretching a little bit, trying to fit into that role, but doing that exercise with you really helped. So I don't know if you can speak to that, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's, um, I know it, there's 10, there's 10 of them and it's, it's the workplace attractors. It felt like more. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Work, work. <laughs> it always does. <laughs> I know. What was it called again? Workplace attractors? Workplace attractors. And it's one of the exercises I'm looking for it. I don't, I don't have the cards on me, but um, yeah, it's one of the exercises that I do with clients of just like, wouldn't it be nice if you could have every single thing that's important in the way that you, that people choose work in your workplace and things like, like flexibility and relationships and work fit and all these different pieces that typically people just draw people to the work they do. And, and sometimes I have clients who who come who want everything and they want all of these things, but part of the process of really um, going through coaching and exploring who you are is also kind of figuring out who you're not and, and what you're, but maybe even just what you're willing to let go of and what's most important for you. And in do in that process of gaining clarity, you then are able to start making decisions that are more focused on what, not just like, you could be all those things, like none of them are bad. They're all great. We'd all love to have them all in, in work, but knowing what's most important and how that connects to you, you then can really start actually making decisions um, in, in favor of that. And not just like, not just making decisions. This is one of the, the things that's interesting. Like, I think people sometimes view career coaches as being most helpful once you've lost your job. But I always think like, well, what are you doing to advocate for yourself while you're working as well and to be engaged in in, the, in your work and like for managers to think about like, how are you really supporting people to do meaningful work and to really feel like they're engaged in work and supporting transitions internally as well as externally. And so that's, that's, I think, some really important conversations that need to happen around transition and not just seeing it as like, I've lost my job, but viewing career more as the way we make decisions throughout our life, whether it's related to, to work, whether it's related to volunteer, or just as it relates to the things that you love. And so clarifying those, like, I made you do and uh, Peter and like the things that are important, but also the things that are not. And it's good to kind of understand those for yourself. Yeah. So often when we do value-based exercises, it's always about identifying who we are and what's important. And it's so refreshing to hear you say that, Andrea, that sometimes just looking at what definitely doesn't resonate with you can be really powerful. And, um, you know, I remember reading a, a little essay for, that was recommended by a friend from the Harvard Business Review called Managing Oneself. And it was very much that it's like, hey, don't just be aware of where your strengths are. Be aware of like what, what you don't stand for. And um, yeah, that's just something that resonates with me. And so I'm not surprised to hear that it's part of how you interact with clients. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it really is. And it's something also... And I think we've we've talked about this before. Is it something that um, something that can change too over your lifetime? Like, if you're allowed to have those circumstances or those values change 
based on the experiences that you're having. And sometimes the things people choose for themselves, um, depending on what's happening in their life, will shift as you as you go through life. Um, you may, I know I've done this, I did this with one group and there was a single mom in the group. And like that changed very quickly when she became a single mom because of suddenly security was really important for her. And so understanding what, what are the contributing factors to those decisions that you're making? And then how do you advocate for yourself in the workplace or make sure that you're finding things out when you're looking for work um, to see if it does align with who you are. Mm-hmm. One of the things, you know, uh, Mark and I notice just knowing knowing you working with you is this emphasis on on creativity uh, as a tool as that you use to engage with your clients, um, you know, the the groups that you interact with. What is it about creativity that makes it so useful in coaching for you? Oh, I love being creative and coaching. I mean, Peter, you know this. <laughs> I love being. Oh yeah, I, I, we can talk about an example of creative coaching for sure. Yeah, I, I the thing that I, I find with it is um, it's interesting because all the creative we call them like interventions or tools or however, whatever you want to think of them as they're all they're all evidence-based and they all, but that it's funny because as soon as you bring creativity into it, it kind of gets this other perception of what that means. But um, the the thing I love about being more creative in, in coaching is that it it's a little bit, well, it's surprising and it sometimes creates like a, it's got a stickiness factor to it where it's memorable. Like Peter, we worked together years ago and you still remember some of these things because it's not expected. It's it's something that you bring in and it helps you. Not only is it sticky, it, it gives you kind of the, it gives your client, like my clients, a bit of an entry point back into the conversation and at one level where they can be like, oh yeah, I remember that conversation we had last week and I had to yeah work with those like cards and make really hard decisions about things. And then from there, expanding the, the memory of what was discussed to kind of remember a little bit more clearly the conversation we had. The other side of it too, is it being able to use more creative approaches? Like we use sometimes physical movement, we'll use metaphors, we'll use story. Um, it really helps clients see things and really all of us see things from a new perspective. Like how often do you sit in your story and like you've told it to yourself and you've told it to your friends and your partner and everyone's kind of, you've been cycling this story through your head and to be able to then look at it in a completely unexpected way sometimes just helps you see it in a way that's not that same tangled story that you're stuck in but you really can externalize it and look at it together in a really fresh new way and it's fun I've had clients who've been like oh that was fun (laughs) like you know coaching doesn't have to be like super serious like it is it's important topics and but it doesn't have to be this super serious thing that we do. It can be fun and um, it can be playful. And often when it is those ways, you can then start relaxing and start seeing things that maybe you don't see otherwise. Yeah. It's so interesting. Uh, Just to add on to that, when I was doing a a more movement-based teacher training a couple of years ago, the emphasis in that training, which was more in the physical realm, was that as adults, we really lose all element of play. And just hearing you talk about how creativity can help you see a different perspective, I'm reminded of how little we have of that spontaneity, that play, that imagination that happens all the time when we're a kid. And so uh, I'm not surprised to hear that it's a really effective way to create that stickiness factor, as you said, and provide a new perspective for clients. Yeah, right on. And I think just going back to our our work that we did, there was one activity that you, I don't know if you remember the three chairs, 
where we had the three chairs set up in a room. And for for those of you listening, just I'll, I'll give I'll give the quick rundown. And Andrea, I'd love to hear like the rationale, the the theory behind it. But essentially, what we did was you kind of guided me through the three different versions of myself, including my current self, I think. Um, and I kind of sat in each chair being the version of that person I wanted to be or that that kind of career path that I took and actually talking through how it would feel, what I would be doing and what I would be thinking. And even though it was like still a ways away of becoming that person, even taking that first step to even think about it, that and, and and hold that identity for a moment was really powerful. And I still still remember that. I do. I remember that. I remember that it was in your living room actually and that <laughs> you were walking around. I don't know if I was just a science experiment. But... No, we were on the phone and I remember kind of talking you through this. Yeah. But um there really is that sort of untangling that happens when you can start identifying the different parts of of who you are or the decision that you're making. And instead of seeing them all as like one tangled piece, being able to split them up and explore them individually, um, that was what we were doing. And, And that really helps people see things and speak to them clearly. And, and like, you can just talk about it and have a conversation about it. But then you're still kind of tr- having to track a lot more in your mind about like, which one am I talking about now? And was it this? It's easy to bounce between them, where if you're physically in different locations, then it just it, it becomes very clear the role that you're talking about and being able to talk about that from that perspective. So speaking of these experiential activities, we've gone through a couple examples. We thought, Andrew, it'd be kind of interesting to actually try one here with our listeners. And if they were so inclined, they could participate at home. Um, there was a book that uh, you'd share with me in the past that I love called The Physics of Living. And this activity is referenced in that book. It's called The Life Balance Wheel. I was wondering, maybe you could just introduce this for those who are are listening here and talk us through what this activity entails. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, And maybe it's worth even mentioning, like some of these exercises that we're also talking through and talking about. Um, So Norm Amundsen, Dr. Norm Amundsen is the author of Physics of Living, but he's also written other books and teaches all over the world. And and a lot of these activities and exercises that we do actually come out of his body of work. And um, yeah, he's, he's one of, he's my business partner. We teach, we work together very often. He's also my dad. And so we've like grown up, I've grown up in this world. And <laughs> this was like my, like, I don't know, party trick. <laughs> When I'd have when friends would come over, we'd be like, tell us about a time when things went well for you. And so, but this is just kind of what I've learned growing up. And it's it's such a privilege to be able to, to work with him and put our two worlds together in, in new ways and continue to work together. So amazing. Yeah, the life balance. Yeah, I was going to, I wanted, I wanted to make sure you properly introduced the author and uh, yeah, it just warms my heart on so many levels that uh, you have this connection and um, are able to work with, with your, your father. So that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, so talk to us a little bit about this activity and what it entails. Yeah. So the life balance wheel comes out of the book physics of living, which can actually be found on my website, double not dot works under the resources tab. Um, but what it is, is it, it really is looking at life balance and, and the areas where you're feeling like you are in balance and you're not. And we all have these different, um, it's been actually broken down into eight segments that, um, we experience life balance. And it's, it's just so important when you're going through a transition to not lose sight of balance and to be able to maintain that balance. And actually, if you think about even like standing on one foot, 
you can't just stand on one foot. Like you're you're always sort of making these micro adjustments and, and shifting your weight around. And so we're always kind of moving. Balance is never this stagnant thing that we strive for. I think sometimes we talk about it that way where we try and have like perfect balance, but it is something that's in motion, just like transition. Like it's always in motion, always something that we're measuring, shifting, adapting day to day, week to week, but having some sense overall of your own life balance can be really helpful as you're going through transition, just to to understand your experience of it it a little bit better. And even to become aware, a little more aware maybe of like, where does work fit with this? It's so easy to get stuck in like the work tunnel and I need to find a job and lose sight of all the other parts of life that, that happen around us. Yeah. Work work is just one of the eight categories, right? So I think that always uh, really resonates. So there's a few reasons why this activity really resonates One is just, as you said, I love that metaphor of balancing on one foot, right? There's constantly always that shifting and that moving when you're trying to hold on to that balance. And so this activity is really practical because I've done it a few times in my life now, having known you for some time. And every time I do it, I'm taking something away and every time it's different. And in fact, I actually hired you and brought in Double Knot Works to facilitate uh, this workshop during the height of the first wave of the pandemic for my team at my workplace. And we got so much from doing that activity through a time that was just universally for the world, a a big change uh, in dealing with quarantining and self-isolation. So um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to dive in. So why don't, why don't we just paint a picture for our audience and talk a little bit about what we have in front of us? Yeah. Okay. So if you're listening to this, um, just like draw a circle on a piece of paper and split it into eight pieces and if you can, we'll we'll put a link in, I think, the podcast notes as well, so you can click on it and access it. But essentially, there's eight different segments, if you imagine a pie. Um, there's eight different segments of the pie. And so I'm just going to talk you around the segments. And as I do, just write like the, the word or the big idea that I'll, I'll start with for each segment, and then you'll have your own your own pie. Um, So the first one that we'll start with is work, and that's thinking about like what you do as a vocation or occupation, and this can be paid, it can be unpaid, it can be how you earn a living, or maybe also how you're preparing to earn a living um, in the future. There's play, so play would include recreational hobbies, maybe music, art, friendship, um, activities you do on your own or with friends, just the things in life that you really enjoy and you you kind of get recharged from that would that would kind of fall under the the play category. And then personal is really having time spent on your own, time to reflect, time to get to know yourself and follow your own path. And then social is social, time spent with others, time spent uh, working, playing, maybe like connecting with others, contributing to the welfare of others or the well-being of others. It can be one-on-one or as, as a group, just that like social element. And intellectual, that one is or more activities that challenge your mind, um, thinking, read, maybe reading. Uh, I mean, these days it's much, it kind of exp- extends beyond reading to even learning through videos, watching, watching YouTube. Like there's all kinds of interesting videos on YouTube we can go down rabbit holes on, but those times where you're really gathering information, solving problems and trying out new ideas. Then there's emotional, which is more the relationships and activities that really help you experience and express your feelings and develop your ability to really understand your your feelings and and have appropriate feelings, Um, not just like 
uh, the ideas, but it's more of like the that deeper who you are and, and connecting to your empathy and, and sympathy for the people around you. And then physical, taking care of your body, going out for a walk, using your body to experience the world around you. So that could be like exercise. It could be walking. It could be, I know Peter used to do CrossFit and Mark, you did, um, I can't remember what it was called, but like that real like active part. Of, I know <laughs> like Frisbee golf. There's one I know you do, Mark. Um, there you go. <laughs> But also, yeah, going to the gym, like we have all different ways, different kinds of activities that we do. It could be hiking, doesn't have to be at a gym, just the ways that you kind of take care of your body. And then the last one is spiritual. And so that is more perspective taking, thinking a little bit more broadly about your place in the world, your place in relation to the people around you, to truth beauty, wisdom, and developing a sense of the meaning of life and taking that time to know and to experience what you believe to be true. So there's those eight pieces. Yeah. yeah. It's powerful. And uh, it's really helpful to hear how you describe them. I think our listeners will appreciate that. So just kind of like uh, we have a cooking show, we actually, to accelerate um, the content here in today's conversation, Peter and I actually have gone ahead before this recording, we we did our own balance wheel. And um, yeah, maybe uh, it's kind of interesting because Peter and I are both in different aspects of transitions, right? So he's over six months into a brand new job. And I've currently stepped away from career in this instance and taken a break and done some traveling throughout the fall. So, Peter, um, just going over to you, maybe you could describe a bit about the experience for yourself and what came up for you as you kind of went through. I guess we didn't describe actually what we're doing in the quadrants. That's my bad. So so you have each of those eight, Andrea. What are you actually doing with the wheel once you have those eight categories? Sorry about that. No, no, that's fine. You're excited. This is good. <laughs> So yeah, so the the thing you want to do is to look at these eight eight pieces and think about like what level uh how how do I explain this? How much are you involved in each of these each of these segments? And so it's not necessarily the quantity that you are doing um raises it, but your own sense or experience. And, and how you, you would measure that. So somebody might be working all the time, but really happy with that amount of work, in which case that would be just right. So the just right would be kind of the middle part of the wheel. Too much is then extending out towards the edge and not enough, you would have a line that's closer to the center. So you're kind of measuring from the, the center of not enough activity or not enough balance, I guess is a better way of phrasing that, not enough balance to having too much in of that piece in your life. So if you go through and, and just put a line in the place where you feel like you're at, um, someone might have a lot of play, really fun, really fun life, lots of things, but then maybe it's too much and they don't have space for other things, or maybe they don't play. I've had clients who have said, like, I don't have time for fun anymore. I don't do it. And, and so then that would be too little. And so that would be a line close to the center. Powerful. Thank you. So, yeah, maybe we could turn over to you, Peter, and share a bit about what your experience was doing this activity. Yeah. Um, so, first of all, it, it's a great activity to create awareness. Um, you know, even just spending five, 10 minutes plotting these out really helps me think, okay, maybe, maybe I'm kind of pulling this lever too much. So Mark, like you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, nine, 10 months now actually into my job. So like fully in the groove getting, you know, getting to a point where I'm like starting to optimize things, um, really enjoying it. And, and so certainly like that work aspect is, is probably in the just right, maybe even bordering into too much as I take on more responsibility. So those are that's definitely kind of a higher lever that I'm that I'm pulling right now. 
Um, still doing CrossFit Andrea. So like physical is, is definitely a, a big one for me. And I, and I, again, in that kind of just right to too much quadrant, I think what I really gained out of this is the amount of time I'm not getting a chance to spend on reflection and, you know, the kind of the personal, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, like all of those quadrants, not quadrants, the slices require kind of quiet time and reflective time. And um, my partner and I, we just, you know, adopted a dog back in September. Um, so we're, we're just kind of all, you know, really busy. And um, it does make me think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Like maybe I can pull back a little bit on the work side or the physical side to give more energy into those aspects. So I can be more well-balanced. Um, but I'm just curious, like if you hear that from clients that you work with and, and what, what kind of advice do you give them? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the thing I hear when I hear you talking is that you've sort of answered your own question of like, what do I do from here? And as a coach, I don't usually give advice, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do hear that. Like there's an imbalance and in doing this exercise, it's, it's like, well, there it is. And, and what this does is it really just highlights where you're at right now, which is, which is great. Cause then you have somewhere to go from and to jump off of. And so then the question then becomes great. Like now that you see this about yourself, what what do you need to change, or do you need to change anything? Um, what 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 comes next? One thing that Peter mentioned to me off air that really resonated was this idea of like, are these eight concepts interchangeable? Are there um, trade offs rather between them? And I'm curious to hear from you, Andrea, is like true balance um, possible, um, or is there a relationship between any of the eight in your eyes? There is, there's sort of a cross. If you see, the, if you look at the the wheel and if you have written it on your wheel in the order that I read them, there's, there's sort of opposing ideas. And so there's work and play, um, intellectual and emotional, personal and social, spiritual and physical. So they do tend to have relationships across, um, across the wheel. And, and so, yeah, there, there sometimes is a bit of a push and pull that can happen between the two as, as you go. But um, really just approaching it not as like being hard on yourself, but just saying like, okay, here's where I am. I have agency over my own myself and my own life. What do I want to change or how am I just even saying like, how do I feel about this? Like, do I feel okay? Like, is this okay? Can I be kind to myself, recognizing that there's a lot going on in life? Like, Peter, you're starting a job, which fair, that work may be a little bit larger, knowing that there is that sort of shifting and transitioning that happens even within the the first couple months of or the first year sometimes of, of starting a new role. And so where's the kindness to self? around that and then with that what needs to change um, or do you want anything to change and then that's kind of the direction we head it really just creates a bit of a foundation for that next conversation of how do you how are you gonna what, what just what comes next it's powerful I, I i think one thing i did not do when i did this and hearing you facilitate it it's a good reminder is um letting you be in the driver's seat to decide um, not quantitatively how much of that has been expressed, but is it enough for you? And um, so I would say just doing the activity for myself and I've done it and I actually did it again for imagining what it was like when I was working full-time and how different it was, some relatability to Peter. With doing it, I'm noticing now in this current moment of my life, in the transitions I'm experiencing, a lot of harmony and balance. And I'm noticing with work that too little would definitely be there. However, that's something that in this moment is kind of what I'm looking for. And so even though it's not where I want it to be in the medium or long term, it's actually allowing me to express and explore more of the other seven quadrants, which has been very special. And, um, you know, going back to your earlier conversation around your identity, it's like been a nice journey to go through and explore different parts of identity that have nothing to do with career. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when it does come to that point where you are thinking, okay, now I'm ready to start looking for work or I start to think about whatever career might mean for you, whether it's work or not, um, how how does that fit? Like, are there, are you wanting, like, do you want to give things up? Like, are there areas you want to reduce or not? Or how do you just rebalance? And there's nothing wrong with rebalancing and and, want, and just acknowledging that that shift is happening and there's that transition that is continuing to happen as you have different life experiences. And uh, we can be so hard on ourselves in moments like this and, and expect so much, but just to be kind and be like, you know what? It's a hard year. That's fine. I look like here's the experiences I've had. I've done what I can, or like Mark, it sounds like you've had a great year. <laughs> like, like this is it's, it's a great year, and and I'm happy to to not have had. Like maybe you're happy to just not have that work piece in there right now, or work maybe is. This is a little bit meta, but maybe your work is engaging in those other seven pieces. And that's the way that work is living out through you, not in a like job career sense, but maybe in just really discovering yourself, which is such important work. Yeah. I'll share two last observations and then uh, we can keep rolling. But I think what you're saying resonates and Two things that were surprising to me doing the activity. One was the the spiritual quadrant was just um, how grateful I am for having more time to go for walks along. I'm in Vancouver along the seawall and experience mother nature or to have been able to go to a place that isn't my day to day habit and travel internationally and experience a different culture and foster more empathy and understanding of the world. I think those things really shone through in doing the wheel. And then the other one was just in the, the personal bucket. You'd think. Um, maybe that I would be thriving in this area, but I, I feel as though in the first five months or so between travel and leading up to the wedding, there was always this on the go mentality. And now here we are in January and I've had a bit more time for myself. And yet I'm noticing a bit of avoidance on taking that time for self-reflection. And my takeaway from this activity is exploring that a bit more. And I think maybe it is feeling a bit overwhelmed at the choice and the options that are there to decide on a next step career wise, for example, and not really knowing exactly where to start. And so maybe not reflecting as much as I'd like to, which is an interesting outcome of the activity. Yeah. There's an idea that um, I talk about often actually with my coaching students, but um, just kind of also spoken about at conferences around this metaphor of liminal space. And the idea of liminality, sort of meaning the crossing a threshold, but not yet at your destination. Architects use it. Um, the way I, I learned about it was was it was an architectural term, and the easiest way to explain it is like a hallway, where you've come out of one space and you're walking across a hallway, not yet in that next space. And it's so easy in that space to not know and to just be like, just just the feelings that come with not knowing and, and that the anxiety and the uncertainty and we all experience liminal space in our lives constantly and in different ways. And I think that really ties into the idea of transition is really entering into liminal space. And something that's that I I think is really important is if we stick with that like metaphor of the hallway, there's always like the escape hatch. And we always want to kind of run for the escape hatch that's like the security blanket um, that will kind of get you out easily out of this space of discomfort. When in the reality, if we're able to find our way to sitting in this not knowing and just pausing and knowing it's a normal experience to not know, then you're really waiting for that next step to happen. And it's a bit of even an, as coaches, it's a bit of an act of empathy, like not knowing where the conversation's going, but staying with it. 
instead of grabbing that side door. And everybody sort of has a different experience of what their emergency exit is. And sometimes just recognizing what it is, and maybe it's it's not spending that time in self-reflection, or maybe it's sometimes it's like for coaches, sometimes it's like telling you what to do or talking too much, or I don't know, there's lots of different ways it shows up. But knowing for yourself what it is, acknowledging it, like like you just did, Mark. And I mean, I'm assuming maybe that's not what, what it is, but um, and then just saying, like, oh, look. Here I am feeling this pull towards my emergency exit, but I'm going to stay here in this space of not knowing a little bit longer and just trust myself and trust myself and trust that I have what I need to make that next decision when it comes and take that next step as it comes instead of doing the familiar. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is a perfect seg into our next question question i i think you you've offered you know some uh i wouldn't say tactics but maybe like approaches to managing transitions whether it's being kind to yourself giving you gra- yourself grace and space to figure out the things the liminal space and not pulling the emergency hash but trusting yourself that hey you you got this you you've got the tools to make make it through um what other, you know, uh, approaches, strategies would you offer to people uh, listening who might be going through some major transition? I think to just stick with it, like, like just to the the thing that you don't want to do is to get get into this like really tight, panicky mode where you're making decisions for yourself, not based on who you are and and what's important to you, but just kind of out of desperation. And that's, that's actually a very privileged thing to be able to say. And I know that there are people and experiences that, that people have that doesn't provide that privilege. And so I'm, I'm saying this, recognizing there is that counterbalance to it, but um, if we're able to kind of stay relaxed and find your way to trusting who you are and staying in that moment, um, that is probably the most valuable thing you can do for yourself. Something that I find, another metaphor that I find also helpful is thinking about wayfinding design. And like wayfinding design, if you think about being in a city, like I live just outside of Vancouver too, and we've got the mountains and we've got kind of the water and these big pieces in the land that we live on that helps us just orient ourselves in in in, in certain ways as we're walking or as we're kind of finding our way around the city. And, and so we also have those in our lives and thinking about like, what do you have? Like, what are those big pieces that are your wayfinding design? I don't know how to what design experiences or supports that you can hold on to and look out for in the midst of not knowing. And that might be um significant people around you like a significant other or just even important voices that you have in your life and developing some support around you it could be something else it could be a hobby or a team or a group that you're part of and and really not losing sight and of who you are and the other things that are important to you as you navigate but instead keeping track of that as a way to support you as you step into this, this journey. That's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to just say, Andrea, that's one thing that struck me in some of the reading around going back to the leadership wheel was just the importance of support. And I think when someone's going through a change or a transition, that's unexpected, especially knowing that there's somebody, even if it's small or, you know, everyone has their own way of reaching out and trying to find those people in their life, whether they're family or friends or, professional peers, um, just to grab a coffee or a video chat with, and you'd never know what comes out of that, a creative idea, um, a a bit of energy and motivation, uh, but it can go a long way. 
Mm-hmm. And it goes two ways too. Like, even though, even if you're feeling stuck, yeah, like those people who impact you, you're also still able to impact the people around you too. And understanding that, like that duality that exists between your own support, but you sometimes continuing to support your own friends and, and connecting in that way too can, can be quite helpful. So just kind of talking a little bit about Double Knot Works, you do client engagements and work with organizations and large groups of people. And, you know, Peter and I know that one of the areas that you focus on is the importance of hope and um, using hope as a tool to work through challenges, whatever they may be. Can you talk to us just a little bit at a high level on why is hope something that really resonates with you and something that you come to in your workshops? Yeah, hope hope really is the foundation of a lot of the work that I do. Um, there's actually a theory called the hope action theory. And uh, two of the people that I work with quite closely, Norm Amundsen, my dad, who I've already talked about, and also Dr. Spencer Niles are two of the, the three founders of the hope action theory. And so what they've done is they've they've identified seven competencies that contribute to your sense of hopefulness. And something that's good to think about about hope, it's hope isn't just like feeling good about yourself and feeling good about life, but it's a lot deeper than that. And it goes much deeper. You can have a terrible day, but still have hope for yourself and for the future. So there is a much deeper meaning to having hope. And um, it's something that's really important to have when you're thinking about transition, when you're thinking about career, to have a sense of hopefulness really speaks to um, engagement at work and, and how engaged you feel and how valued you feel. And so there's all these different pieces and and the the things, the competencies that contribute to hopefulness are self-reflection, self-clarity, visioning, goal planning, goal setting and planning, implementing and adapting. And so if we just kind of talk through those a little bit, it's self-reflection is kind of like what we've been talking about already a little bit, like taking the time to like examine your thoughts, beliefs, behaviors, circumstances, understand yourself, self-clarity. It's a little bit of a shift from that understanding or reflecting on who you are to having a clear understanding of who you are, which is really important. And they kind of go hand in hand. And then visioning is being able to imagine the future and the possibilities that might exist for you. Goal setting and planning, that's pretty self-explanatory. Implementing is kind of the, the doing, the putting what you, you plan into action. And then adapting is that once you've put things into action, being able to pause and look at what you've done and say like, oh, okay, is this working? Is this not? What needs to change? And then there's, of course, your own sense of hopefulness. So those are those are the competencies in a very brief rundown. But um, <laughs> what we use is we use actually uh, an image of a pinwheel as a model for this um, this theory. And one of the important pieces that comes with it, we were already sort of alluding to talking about the support, is the environment. And sometimes people can be really strong in all of these competencies, but not be super hopeful because of external circumstances. And so understanding the way that you're being impacted but also the way that you impact the world around you and the hopefulness of the people around you is, is really important. You can, you can see this, we actually have a pinwheel with all the different competencies on the websites, hopeactioninventory.com. And there's an assessment that you can take if you want. It's like $5 and you can, you can actually measure your levels of hopefulness. Um, so yeah, we, we teach a certification on this. Um, we teach a career coaching masterclass at the University of British Columbia, and it's it kind of uses this sense of hopefulness as a foundation. And there's been a lot of research that's that's come from it, using a lot of the the tools and strategies that we've been talking through. But 
a lot more as well. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. There's so much there to unpack. And uh, I know we're not doing uh, the hope action theory justice in this conversation. Um, but certainly I think one of the seven uh, components of it that that stuck out that I just wrote down is this visioning piece. And I think people in general are not very good at looking ahead to the future. And certainly when I think of that idea of hope, it, it's, it's having some, in my words, optimism for what's, what's ahead. So I'm definitely um, going to experiment and play around with that idea of visioning because I, I think it's really powerful in whatever transition one is going through. Yeah, it's super interesting because everybody has like a strength in in some ways or this like natural place where they like to sit and hang out. And what we want to do is encourage people to increase all of their competencies so then like the pinwheel can work together and can actually be put into motion much more effectively. Yeah. And I think something that I took out of just that, even that short explanation was the difference between self-reflection and self-clarity, I think was the word that you Mm -hmm. used. Yeah, And I think I've traditionally in my life leveraged self-reflection, done journaling and done, you know, reading and and that kind of thing, but to actually transfer it into self-clarity and to put it into to action, have it anchor you to that person you want to be and show up as on an everyday basis. That part has been kind of a challenge to 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 be honest. So uh, it's really great that you distinguish between the two, and I'm excited to look into to the the framework more. So as we wrap up this conversation. Uh, a, a tradition that we've always had for uh, the first couple of this, a couple of seasons on the Ikigai project is always to ask our guests, you know, what is Ikigai for you? And Ikigai again uh, is the word, Japanese word for the reason for being or the reason you wake up in the morning. I'm just curious, we're, we're curious to hear from you, you know, what, what does Ikigai mean in your life uh, and how might it be continuing to evolve for you? Yeah, that's a good question. And and it's it's something that I think is evolving for me. It's always changing. And I've like I've rediscovered how much I love learning, which I didn't really love high school. <laughs> and so and, and so and now I'm like, well, here I am and teaching and working and loving to learn. And so in some ways that that way of being is really loving to learn, but really loving to learn about people and the people around me and just those core beliefs that I have when I look at someone in front of me, whether it's a group or even like a country sometimes or, or an individual and just think like, what a privilege it is to be able to get this view and and just see how incredible each person is and how they get to like how they work together or how they how they just view life and themselves and make decisions like i get to be the cheerleader and and so that's one piece of it and there's of course kind of the other side of really my family and that's also such an incredibly important part of who I am and the reason I do my work. Like I have three boys who are going to be entering the workforce at some point and who are growing up. And if I can make this world even slightly better <laughs> in some way um, for them and, and even beyond, like for their friends and this next generation that's that's coming up, then um, I'm happy to go on that journey and uh, I'm thrilled to do it in whatever way I can. Beautiful. What a perfect way to end this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that's powerful. And as someone who uh, is a very curious person, I can relate a lot to learning. Um, That's that's really nice to hear that perspective. Um, Well, Andrea, it's been wonderful to have this conversation as we talk and explore transitions over these uh, last few episodes. Um, You mentioned a few different resources throughout the conversation, but just one last time to, to summarize if people wanted to get in touch with you, what what are the best ways that they can uh, engage? Yeah, you can just like send me an email. I'm pretty easy to reach that way. Um, 
at andrea at doublenot.works. You can find me online on my website, doublenot.works. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and I'm there fairly free. I've actually written two, there's two kind of mini articles on LinkedIn, one about liminal space, one about wayfinding. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, you can go find more about that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's probably, that's probably it. All right. And and we'll be sure to link to these resources in the show notes. And just in case people weren't aware, double knot is D-O-U-B-L-E and then knot as in tying a knot. So K-N-O-T. So that's great. And also um, I have my copy here, The Physics of Living, but that's where we took uh, the the balance wheel from. Uh, I don't know if you want to speak to, to anything regarding the book, but if listeners are interested in purchasing it. Yeah, if you would like to buy it, you can go to doublenot.works and it's under the resources tab. And we're happy to give you all a discount on the price probably until the end of the month that it gets this gets released on. But um, so if you want to use the code Ikigai, then you'll get a 20% discount off of that. And I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to also just hear from people. Like I always am like, send me a message ask me your questions or like connect. I'm happy to connect. Right. Well, there's lots of powerful metaphors in the book. So if people enjoyed your metaphors today, definitely uh, worth checking out. Uh, it's a book I come back to time and again. Great. Right on. Well, thanks for having Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thanks so much, Andrea. We look forward to having another conversation soon. Take care. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you both. Thank you so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at herehue.bandcamp.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out the blog at ikigai.blog. And if you found this content useful, please subscribe or tell a friend or family member about this podcast. I'll see you next week for another episode of the Ikigai Project. Take good care of now, everyone.